Hi, it's Julie. And Pete. From Rush the Bus. Um, on our next episode, we're going to be speaking with Adam Palmer of Pittsburgh EMS. It's a really enjoyable podcast, but unfortunately we had a little... Operator error. Operator error. Didn't mess it up. So it's going to sound like it starts mid-conversation, and that's not you, that's us. It's absolutely us. So please enjoy it anyway, because it's very, very enjoyable, and Adam's a great person. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day. Central Rock right the box behind the 744 Case Avenue on 760 Case Avenue. What the heck? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not like we're stealing people. And in fact, I feel like we've been trying to tell people if their loved one is well enough to stay home, that they should try to manage their symptoms at home. Like we had a patient the other day who was, I don't know, 95 or he didn't look unwell for a 95 year old. He looked to be in pretty good shape. And he lived with his adult daughter, who was probably in her 60s, and her husband. And they basically said, you know, he's been sick for a week. We took him to urgent care. They did a chest x-ray. Everything was clear, no pneumonia. And they just sent him home with cough medicine to manage his symptoms. And she's like, but in the last two days, he hasn't Like, he's lost his appetite, and we can't really get him to eat. And I was like, well, have you been able to give him soup or juice? And she was like, yeah, he's doing that. And I was like, then that's it. You know, like if he doesn't have solids right now, that's fine. As long as he's having broth and tea and like Malta and whatever else. I was like, cause I'm telling you like, and I was like, I don't mean like, we were like, we don't want to sound harsh, but if we take him to the hospital, he's probably not coming home. Like, that's it. And she was like, oh my God, you know, and we're like, I mean, that's the reality of it. We're like, we're in such a bad situation right now you can manage him one-on-one -on -one here at home, then you should. I was like, because if he goes to the hospital, he's going to be just a number in a sea of bodies where a nurse may get to him if he gets really bad. And then that's it. He's going to just perish in the hospital, you know, like there's, or he can be here with you and you can manage his symptoms. I was like, and if by two days from now, he's not getting any better, then you call his doctor again and then tell them what's happening. But Right now, this is not the time to bring elderly people to the hospital if they don't need to go because they're never coming home, you know? That's so, yeah. telling a bunch of people whenever we go on these, you know, mining calls, like the same kind of thing. Like, uh, don't go to the hospital. Like, And the thing, there's a lot of people that don't even want to go because uh, they can't go with them, you know? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are taking. We're not taking anybody. Yeah, we're not taking family either. Yeah, that's the toughest part. Is like, yo, the family start like it. It finally sinks in, like when you're wheeling the family out and you're like, yo, you can't go. Yeah, like this. I mean, this. Like, unfortunately, we had a guy the other day who was also like in his 80s, and his daughter called, and she was like, oh, he's he's altered. He was. He was altered, and he was super pale. His blood pressure was very low, and you know, we kind of were like, well, maybe it's COVID because he'd been having diarrhea. And she was like, I'm immunocompromised. Like, we're not going out. Like, there's no way COVID is here in this house. Like, we don't have it. And she wanted him to go to this one hospital. And we we're like, we can only go to the closest. And I kind of thought it could have been an in-bleed. Like, maybe he had a GI bleed because of, like, some of his symptoms. And he was definitely, like, altered, you know, all the kind of signs. He had, like, uh, his abdomen was, you know, like, distended and uncomfortable. and but even with that, I mean, he definitely needed to go to the hospital. And she was so upset that we weren't going to their hospital. She was so upset that we wouldn't take her niece. She was like so frazzled. 
and I genuinely felt bad for her. And she was like, well, what, what happens if he needs me? And I was like, the hospital will call you and tell you what's happening, but you can't go there. And I mean, this poor woman, we left her like, like sobbing, you know what I mean? Like, like she probably is not going to see her dad again, you know? Yeah. So it's well, definitely not. I think they're doing good with the social distancing. They were just saying that that's been preventing a lot of stuff, but New York's like the worst case scenario. Everybody's mm -hmm. saying New York, New York, New York. And I don't, I don't think people know how bad it is. You don't know how bad it is until I don't, I don't think people take it as seriously as mm -hmm. like I know I didn't, and at first I was like, Neither "Oh, do we?" We're like, "Yo, this is BS." Yeah, I, my was, dad was it was telling us because we wanted to go like on an international trip over the summer, and he was like, "Well, I don't know if we'll be able to fly." And I remember thinking, "Like, Dad, come on, man, it's like a flu. Like everybody exactly. gets the flu." The same way, I was. <laughs> they said the same exact kind of thing. They they were like, "Oh, I." I uh I think that everybody's gonna be really sick. Like I'm really worried about this. And I'm like, oh my god! Like this is gonna yeah. be horrified flu. Like, yeah. Yep. yeah, everything's been shut down. I'm bored on my past days. Like, yeah. I'm I'm like ready to go back to work because I'm just like no, that is for a while. Yep. Well, yep. I think I mean for us, I was I was eager to go back because I felt like a. I'd spent two weeks pretty much isolated and sick and I felt like I needed to see people and be outside and then be, you know, as a first responder, you kind of feel like I have to get out there. And that way. Okay. As a paramedic. Thank you. That's like, I don't know. Peter, anyway, come on, man. There's like this it. intensity. You Call feel you, like what the title is. a national like emergency. You kind of feel like compelled to be out there and so I felt like that. I couldn't wait to kind of get out there. And I got to tell you, like our first two days back, that was like, it took a lot. Like, I think Pete and I like talked the morning after our last day, like we needed to like process it. Like I, I'm still processing how bad it is, how much worse it is than I thought and how I, I feel like we're all going to have like post-traumatic stress after this. This is like intense. Like I saw more death and dying in the last two days than I've seen in like the last six months. And that's no lie. Like we've just been pronouncing people going to DOAs. People are shocked that their loved ones died that quickly. Like it's, it's shocking. So we went on one, like we suspected it might've been COVID. You know, she had a fever, shortness of breath, diarrhea, all the telltale signs. She had been around somebody that was out of state worked her and everything like that they just said she went down we don't know because we pronounced it we didn't do any like we we worked her and then we pronounced it it's not like you guys where we transport a lot of cardio, cardiac arrest patients but like i i told my my partner and me said because knock on wood it's been kind of slow than slower than normal at least for us and uh i I, I think it's just the calm before the storm. I think mm -hmm. they said the peak is going to be, they're predicting that the peak is going to be April 15th or 16th for us. Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't know for sure, obviously. They're just looking at the numbers. But yeah. uh, I don't know. Is closed. Everything is still, like, the city is shut down. Our, I mean, Pittsburgh is. I don't know about New York. but Yeah, everything is. I mean, here we have, obviously, like, grocery stores are still open, but that's pretty much it. I mean, as silly as this sounds, like, yesterday, 
after that two shift, I was like, I need uh, champagne or something. <laughs> I like need alcohol. <laughs> and I went like to my local liquor store, which is normally open. It's like two blocks away. It was closed. And I was like, that's weird. And so I looked up where another one would be within walking distance. And I walked to it and that one was closed. And I went home and I was like, I need this. Like, I was so upset. I'm like, I really need this right now. Like, mm-hmm. this is kind of like, uh, you know, an essential service that I require because I need to like, I don't know, like just not think about how bad this is right now. And I think for us, we're about, they say, two to three weeks out from the apex of how bad this is going to be. It's going to get much more. It's still that bad. Yeah. Like we're going to get much, much worse. And I'm telling you, like, that's all we did. Like that is all we did Mm -hmm. was just go to people who were dying, died already, we're pronouncing people. We're doing cardiac arrest. We're not transporting cardiac arrests. That's like the biggest thing now. It's like we That's transport. You know, we're behind the curve with that. Like we don't. We transport every cardiac arrest. Mostly. mostly. Unless it's like obviously, yeah, obviously like an systolic arrest that never changed like or whatever. A, yeah, like a PEA arrest. Like we'll transport that, and now. We're pronouncing it. So I mean, that's that's one of the biggest culture shifts, and then. If you don't want to go to the hospital, we could basically tell you, all right, see you later. Yeah. So, that's the thing with us is the you know, same exact thing. Yeah. I told me and my partner were talking about this too, is I've gone on more refusals in the last week than I have in in the last year probably. We go to these houses, we tell them, hey, like there's a good chance that you know you're gonna contract this virus because everybody's going to the hospital with yeah. the virus. So yeah. that's the last place that people want to go is to a hospital mm-hmm. where you can get it. And above all else, you can't ride with us and mm-hmm. can't go to the hospital because there's no visitors. So they're yeah. like, Oh, we'll stay home then. It's like <laughs> probably I mean, better that way, you know. It's better. I mean we we had a girl the other day who was like 19 and she fainted. Um, I guess she was like smoking hookah or whatever in her house and she fainted and her mom like flipped out and it came in as an unconscious. And as soon as we went in the apartment and I'm like, okay, it's a 19 year old healthy girl. My first thing is like, we're not going kind of, you know, like and not rudely, but just like I straight up told her, I was like, her mom didn't really speak English. And I was like, you need to tell your mom like, how you're like, how are you feeling? Cause if you're not feeling well, then we could, you know, take you to the hospital. I was like, but honestly, this is not the time to go to the hospital. I'm like, if that's all it was, I'm like, are you pregnant? Do you have your period? Like I'm asking every question why this could be potentially, do you have a fever? Have you been sick? You know, like anything, because I'm like, if you're fine, if you're just a 19 year old who fainted, like 19 year olds sometimes do like or 19 year old women sometimes do because women are a little more prone to that at that point i'm like then you should not go i was like because you might survive this but you're going to bring this home to mom and mom may not survive this like that's it you know and i'm like so how are you feeling like if you're really feeling unwell then we'll figure out what we can do if you're feeling better stay home stay home like that's it we're telling people straight up don't come with us and it's it's such a weird shift to tell people not to go to the hospital, but like the reality is like it's more dangerous to be in the hospital right now. And if you're doing okay and you're managing your symptoms at home, I mean, like there we've had to take some people to the hospital that are like non-COVID patients and they really are sick enough to warrant going and you feel like, oh, I'm so sorry that we have to take them, you know, like and you're telling their family, I'm sorry, and like 
we can't go to the hospital you want to go to. We have to go to the hospital. It's like, you know, five blocks from here that you hate, you know, but that's kind of where we're at. Like it's, we're in like crisis mode. All right. I'm tired of talking about COVID. <laughs> Why? Wow, that's all it. there is to talk about right now. <laughs> talk about Adam because I'm sick of COVID. I know. So well, anyway. Hi, this is hi. Julie and Pete from Rush the Bus. We're here with Adam Palmer um, from yeah, Pittsburgh. And Adam, how are you doing? Steward. I gotta, I gotta represent the Steward. Pittsburgh, huh? <laughs> oh, oh, my oh my God, yeah. she's horrible. And we have two. <laughs> That's Julie. Hi. Say hi. Hey. <laughs> Okay. Whoa, whoa, girl. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like there's a story. monster over there. Yeah. Yep. The joys of homeschooling. Yeah. All right. So we're we're hanging out with Adam. He's stuck in in the house due to quarantine. He's a Pittsburgh paramedic. And so when do you go back to work, like Adam? Work. Like when do you next day? I am tomorrow. I switch back tonight. Whoa, whoa. All right. That. Yeah. Nice. So, this, so we'll, we'll call you tomorrow night then on your first yeah, night. Yeah, you know who I'm working with is Rich. Is it Rich tomorrow, right? Rich, yeah. Um, he, it's our first shift together in any partner. So cool. that's the, uh, a shift to remember, I guess. That'll be <laughs> nice. They've been, they've been real busy on night turn, too. That, that's the other thing. Is like daylight usually is a lot busier than night turn. Yeah. And daylight's been pretty slow compared to what night turn has been like every time i come in because he's he's been on night shift too for and roving in um and i come in to relieve him and, dude we got killed last night wow i'm like, oh my God. I'm like how it's, yeah we run like four it's slow. I'm itching to do something half the time. He's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. So, Are they 12-hour shifts? Yeah, six six to six. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty good shift to be in. Yeah. They, the, the time about a year and a half ago, so we were on eight for the longest time. Six on and two off. It was grueling. And oh, my gosh. Six on, two off. Jesus. Yeah, with rotating weekends every fifth and sixth week. So we would do six on, two off, and then every fifth and sixth week we would have like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then you would go back to <laughs> two off. So we got off that, which is – and I think we gained like – I forget how many more past days it was. But, I mean, with 12, you guys know, we're only working three days or four days yeah. a week. Yeah. It's yeah. great. And for us, we end up ha like for us on our twelves, we end up having every other weekend off, which it's is the same as us. Same yeah, as that's, us. that's a great deal, I think. I mean, when you work in this kind of like first responder <laughs> type of job, you don't you're not guaranteed to have many of those kind of you know everybody else free days, mm -hmm. and so I I think it's like really amazing to have every other weekend off. Yeah, and then I think I'll appreciate that more when I have kids because you guys, I mean, you guys can probably vouch for that, but when they're in school and everything like that, I, I know that the firefighters work 24s, 72s, and they can afford to do that. I wouldn't be able to work a 24 mm -hmm. and, and 
our job. It's too busy. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And, uh, 12 seemed like the happy medium because by that sixth day, whenever we used to work six days on two days off, by that sixth day, it was just like, Oh my God, get me out of here. And then the worst part was it was two days off. So the first day you'd like sleeping. And then you would only have one day off. So yeah. 12s have been a blessing. And I think it's actually helped with recruiting and everything because the, the interesting part about Pittsburgh EMS is that you have to live inside the city. So we have residents. I don't know if I've told you guys that before. But, uh, I think you did mention that, which yeah. not a bad deal, I guess. I don't know how expensive it is to live in the city for you guys. It's really not that bad of a deal. Um, if you find a good part of the city, which there are good parts of the city, it's not like there's not anything mm. that's good. But I think the big thing is our people that want to send their kids to school and they don't want to send them to public schools so they have to pay for private mm. schools. And uh, so that's a reason that a lot of people don't want to move into the city. Otherwise, I think that people would uh, banging down the door to get into us. But uh I, the other reason, the second biggest reason, I think, was because of the schedule we worked. And uh, now that we have that better schedule, we're seeing a lot of uh, increase in people that are applying, especially younger people, because the, the thing you said now, from what I've heard, I've talked to my dad about it, and like it seems like younger people these days, I know me, I would rather favor days off than overtime. So I know a lot of yeah. that generation in the same way and they that schedule is appealing to them because of that whole every other weekend off type of deal yeah i mean i i feel like for me that was one of those things when i was younger and i had to work the eights because that's what we had um i don't know it was like i felt like i had I mean, I was okay when I worked the day tour, but once I went to nights, I I completely lost any type of social life. And I mean, I was like in my mid to late twenties, you know, and and I'd be basically shush, jerkus. <laughs> I'm thirty plus. Oh yeah, thirty um, plus. Yeah, thirty plus a few. But um, how many is a few? I mean, two is three. <laughs> a few. Listen, guy. Uh-huh. But I mean, I remember friends asking me like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, I don't have weekends off for like six more weeks, yep. you know, yeah, and that's it. it. Like, how do you, you know, because I work 10 p.m. until six in the morning. So people be like, oh, we'll come out after work. I'm like, at 7 a.m., you know, like that was my time off. So when you're 28, 29 years old, that totally stinks, you know, like, so having when I was, I think, 28 is when or 29 is when they went to like the 12s in Brooklyn as like a pilot and I mean it's still I work 9 p.m. until 9 a.m. at the time but I loved it I loved having every other weekend off I like made plans with people I had a social life and you know now it's like 10 years later or whatever um plus (laughs) and uh and we're back on 12s and even though I'm not like going out the way I did when I was in my like late 20s and early 30s it's still nice because my you know my ex-husband and I share custody of our son it's like I legitimately have every other weekend with my son. I mean, you know, when we're not in like a COVID quarantine crisis, but uh, <laughs> but usually. So I don't know. It's it's worked out much better. If I had to work eight hour shifts now, I don't know how I would manage that with my son, you know, with, with anything. 
Yeah, I, I respect people that used to do it on the six on two off schedule because I that would be. I don't think I could. I don't think I think that's why you didn't see a lot of younger people applying to the um, our department whenever we were on the eights because of that reason alone. It's because you don't. It's kind of hard to have a social life with working six days on, and then we get forced. Um, well, back then we got forced a lot, and uh, that was just it was grueling. It, you you would go six days on, and then you could get forced three of those days. And then it would just be like, oh, my God, I just want to go home. I remember one time that that happened, and I was just like, my our supervisors come around, our district chiefs come around to, like, give us supplies and, like, basically just see how we are kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She was a rundown and everything. And I remember saying to her, she just got – she had gotten promoted. And uh, I said, you know, I'm like, I don't have anything to do. I'm like, but – I just kind of want to go home. <laughs> yeah. That's like, not so unusual. You know, I look back at those days. I'm like, man, like I have every other weekend off now. Like I'm dumb. This is great. Like, this is great. I only work three days in a row. Like if you like the most three days in a row. Yeah. So it actually is uh it's, it's a culture change for sure. Yeah, you get yeah. sloppy when you're stuck working that much. You know what I'm saying? You get sloppy, you know, your mouth gets reckless. Yeah. You know, me and my partner said, like, we just like by the sixth day, you could tell when somebody was on their sixth day on because it was just like they were burnt out like a candle, yeah. you know. It's not, it's not anybody's fault, it's yeah, just, just working, that. bro. Like, that much work, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. And we, we actually switch back to a different shift every month. So, once you got used to one shift, then you're switching back to the next. Yeah. So, Kind of like it's rotating yeah. eights, which that was hard in itself too. Yeah. Now we only do it every three months, okay. so like we're every quarter, okay. I guess you can say. Okay. So right. we're mm. we're rotating on days and nights every three months, every uh, every fourth month, I guess you would say. Okay. So every quarter, that's not bad. So, but we should get the pick. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. a cool thing. So we should get to switch it up. So when did you become an EMT? I got my EMT certification when I was 16 years old in uh, wow. 2008. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, I was 16 in 2008, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sure wasn't. Hey, <laughs> we're 25, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're not going to fit her head on here if you tell her that too much. <laughs> oh, man. But, so you used to volunteer, so I, right? You were a vol. Yeah, I was. I uh, I still do. I uh, got involved in this profession, I guess you can say, when I was fourteen, and uh, been in it ever since. Haven't wanted to do anything else with my life. That's all I could see myself doing is this kind of stuff. My dad was. Uh, he was a paramedic and uh, a volunteer firefighter at the same place I am right now, and uh, he's he's a life member though, but. Uh, he, I grew up around the firehouse. I grew up going to the firehouse and loving that kind of stuff. So, like, when I was 14 and uh, was able to join, you know, I, I joined. And uh, I, I don't know. I've been in it ever since, and I love it. I, I absolutely can't get enough of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys get to do, like, the best of everything over there. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's different. Different in this place. That's what we we're talking about. It's kind of crazy sometimes. It's a different 
Somebody commented on the the rescue post that you put up, and it was a very, it was a very wise comment. Man, that's a bizarre system. Really cool. I'm like, that's a good way to describe it. It is an uncommon type of system that we run, but it is really cool. Yeah. My friend. So at 14, you were able to be a firefighter. Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah. So like. So it's kind of weird how my uh how my things started. So in Monroeville, uh, the place that I belong to now, and my dad did, uh, they didn't have a cadet program whenever you were 14 to join. So they were in the process of making it. And in the meantime, when I was 14, I went to two other places and I was like a future firefighter and a, a junior firefighter at another fire company that was just in my house until they made the actual program for um, the cadet program in Monroeville. So when I was 15, like a year or two later, I was able to join number four, uh, Monroeville four and uh, be there. So I kind of look for places whenever I was 14, because there's only so many places that have like junior program and you just, the junior program that when I started out, it was a future firefighter program and you met every other week and you would like, you know, go and kind of just go over what they did for drills pretty right. much was what, what the future firefighter program was. And then, um, whenever I became a, cadet at Monroeville it was kind of the same thing where you would you would go and you would watch what people were doing and then when you were 16 you were able to actually ride you, you wow. a junior firefighter and you would be able to ride on the fire apparatus and everything with some stipulations on like like child labor laws when you could actually you know what time of night you couldn't <laughs> miss it kind of thing so you know we bring the kids out when they drop the whole bed of hose <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time you bring the kids out it, it, uh, it's interesting Get up so, there, youngin we got 1500 feet to pack <laughs> start walking that was, that was the best man you, you that that's what you waited for was a fire way out or something on the engine like if you were if you were a junior you know <laughs> god I hate that. I hate laying out on a hose. Yep, that was that was the thing you waited for. But uh, yeah, when I was sixteen, that you can in Pennsylvania, you can take the uh, EMT course at sixteen. So I was wow. lucky and able enough to get enrolled to that, and um, I I was riding the ambulance before I was in EMT school in Monroeville, mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough to be learning from my dad. He would yeah. be coming around and. Uh, he he still runs. He he, my I told you this before, but my whole family is. And I was thinking about that before we talked the last time. My whole family is in healthcare. You know, my wife is a nurse, and my parents are perfusionists. My dad doesn't do that. ECMO, right? Because yeah, yeah, because exactly. somebody else said that they were on that. I was like, I know what that yep. is. Yeah, that and my sister, my baby sister, just became perfusionist, and then my other sister is uh, in med school. So it's kind of like a a family thing here. Yeah. But yeah, he 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 still runs on the ambulance, uh, like on the weekends at a a part time job that he got a part time gig that he likes running. So he uh, he does that just out of 
just out of fun. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I wish I could. Like, that's nice. I know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, that is, and obviously, it's something he enjoys. You yeah, know, he does. It, my mom, funny, she, like she, she's with this whole COVID thing. Um, he's had to step back from it for right now because his department only has uh, four people in it at Children's where he works, oh. and he doesn't want to bring anything back there. Obviously, yeah, he doesn't want to put himself at risk and. I, I guess he was like talking to my mom and my mom was talking to me and she's like, Oh, he's really upset about having to do it. And I'm like, well, he's not quitting or anything, but she's like, she's like, but Adam, that's, it's like, he's quitting. That's what yeah. he thinks. Right? Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but you can't mess with your big, with your big money job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. yeah. He, he loves it. He loves talking to me every time, all this stuff. He calls me up. I call, he's my first call after any good call. Always my first call. Um, it's just like it, it's it's neat. It's it's a good. Uh, it's nice to have somebody to talk to. I mean, coming back and talking to Marissa about this stuff, like it's nice to have somebody that understands it because she was uh, a paramedic as well. My wife was a paramedic, oh, and yeah. uh, she's a quitter. She became a nurse. She's a quitter. <laughs> she became a nurse. Yeah, mm. she's a quitter. Um, At least she married up. Now, got a man yeah, now she's gonna be making the big bucks when she's out of CRNA school. So mm -hmm. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, like, yo, if you supported her through nursing school. You know, you're entitled to half. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> That's all know. I gotta tell her. Yeah. What a way to think. <laughs> yo, I like guy. He he. Um, <laughs> yo, so he married this chick, and he was from like upstate New York, but she was in Bethlehem going to school to become a surgeon. So they finished school and everything. He supported the whole time. Then they decided we're going to get divorced. So in divorce court, this chick's like, well, you know, I want half your fire pension. And his lawyer came back and said, well, didn't you support her through med school? And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, you're technically entitled to half of her salary for the rest of her life because you supported her. She quickly stopped deciding that she's going to take his pension. So well, that, that's news to everybody. If you're going to date, make sure you support it through school. You'll get half. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, yep. Peter's the king. I know. Peter. But, all right, let me, let me. Yeah, I already got it, guy. <laughs> Edit this part. <laughs> <laughs> what? I said edit this part. That's what I'm taking a note of for myself. You guys are riot. You know that? No, I was just going to say, I think that's actually really nice that after a call that you have, that you can actually like talk to your dad. I don't know. That to me is yeah. like a really nice way of. Yeah. Kind of processing mm -hmm. things. They don't have to like with explain someone everything trust. either. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah, know, like you're not about it, so you can just, you know, tell them like how it is and stuff. You know? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's, and I know that sucks for a lot of people because they can't come home and bring that stuff home. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that I've always been able to do that, whether it was with my parents or whether it was with you know now with my wife. Like it's just it's it's. Mm -hmm come home from a day of work and you i guess it's just the i guess it's a debriefing maybe that's what yeah. you would think of it yeah. i don't know I, I that that stuff i'm lucky um that 
all that kind of stuff I'm numb to, um, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, But like, if I think that I don't know how to explain it, but uh, like, I guess that's a good way to think of it. I've never thought of it as a debriefing kind of thing. Mm. So, but But I think, I mean, this kind of work, like whether it's, you're a firefighter or a paramedic or a police officer or a nurse or a doctor, like, you know, there's going to be challenges. Um, and I think, you know, those are things you don't necessarily want to take home to your children or, you know what I mean? Or even friends that you might be close with that don't work in this kind of situation. Um, you can maybe talk about it, but it's not always uh, understood as readily. So having someone that you're close to that, has some knowledge or, you know, they've had the same experiences because of their like line of work. I mean, I think that's why partners end up getting close too. is like, you kind of, you know, you help each other decompress by like talking through particularly awful jobs. And even if one of you didn't think it was particularly awful, maybe the other one did. And you sort of like, you know, you have a soundboard to kind of like run that. I mean, thankfully, no, neither of us ever do that to each other. Like, I feel like there's been things that I'm like, ugh. Like, I just talk Peter's ear off. I'm like, that was so sad. I don't know. I mean, that guy's life. You gotta be kidding me. You're so, writing all the reports. You get to do that. That's your that's your God given right. You get to write all the reports. That's what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. I tend to write most of them until I like scream at Peter and tell him like Stop I didn't have, have five PCRs still. I'm like, all right, you know? we'll hold a signal. <laughs> uh, no, he usually will grab a tablet and start helping because mm-hmm. you know we do get like one after the next after the next. That's like our newest thing now in the city is that they're, I guess, because we're so inundated with calls, we don't have to technically yeah, write, write a narrative. A narrative. That's yeah. absurd to me. I'm still writing my narrative yep. because I don't know. I'm a paramedic and I'm a professional. Mm. So wow. I feel like that's not going to change for me. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. not like a critical thing anymore. Like they yeah. basically just want us to like, you know, write the, Get the whatever, the information. <laughs> What's that? Get the insurance. That's all we care about. I know. Get the insurance and their vitals, and then that's it. Yeah. Um, I so, can't believe it's that. Like, yo, I'm you wouldn't. Yo, to... honestly, like, you probably think we're full of shit. But we no, said, I know, no, no. Right? Listen, I thought it was. I thought when people we were talking to people before we went back, we're like, yo, there's no way you guys are embellishing this. And the two guys we talked to, they know I love a good story, and I feed into their crap all the time. And then when we got there, I was like, wow. This is crazy. Like we went to places, we saw the trailers and stuff, and I was like, "Wow!" Oh, I saw that on the news. Yeah. So every hospital, every has, hospital it. has it. I was like, and then when we waited outside, and there was people waiting in a vestibule in chairs, and it's real. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, people I, are getting like, like I had, you know, we're it's going so, back on the COVID tilt. I know. I'm so, I, mean, it's, I don't it's, care it's, about it's COVID. So anyway, yo, all right. So yo, wait, I don't care about processing. I don't want to hear about this COVID shit. <laughs> I don't on, care man. no more. So. Everyone wants to hear about it. No, this. they don't. I, Adam, I'm telling you, I have seen more cyanotic patients in the last few days than I've seen in like yeah, a year. Yeah, but they're blue and alive. Legitimately blue. They're blue. They're alive still. You're like, oh my God, look at this person's hands. They're purple. Yeah. Look at their lips. Yeah. You know, like 
these people are like satting in the 50s and 60s yep. like yeah it's shocking and they're still alive they're still, alive. They're still yeah alive. barely yep. but probably not yep. for much but longer they're, they're alive it's like normally like you would be hard pressed that they, you'd be amazed that they're alive normally they'd be dead but now they're still alive with that and they well, is is this older population it doesn't matter it doesn't matter, but I feel like if you're older, it's it's pretty significant. Yeah. Like yeah. even I mean, if you're you don't even have to be old, old. Like you could be sixty, and like that's it, you know. Like or in your fifties. I mean, we the other day in this one emergency department, we weren't even inside. People were literally standing on the platform of the emergency department. It was like forty five degrees out, yeah, and they were cold. outside cold. waiting to get in in forty five degree weather because there was no room yeah. to bring them in. And this one man was sitting on a chair and I had my back to him and I felt like something hit me. And I thought like a chair fell down on me or like an oxygen tank. No, it was the guy. The guy it was the guy. He passed and out like so everybody kind of lifted him back up and put him in a chair because there were no beds. They put him in a chair. And as soon as they lifted him up, I could see his entire face was like a yeah. grape, like just like purple. And I was like, whoa. And I told the nurse like, he's like really cyanotic, you know? And it took like, eight to 10 minutes for them to even find an oxygen tank to put the guy on. And then it took like another 20 minutes for a doctor to come with a pulse ox. And then that doctor like ran off to try to find a bed, but there were no beds. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know what happened to that patient, you know? So, I mean, like they just have people who are like literally at death's door sitting in chairs, like in a vestibule, not even in the emergency Mm -hmm. department, Mm -hmm. sitting next to an open door that's opening, closing, opening, closing. And it's like 40 degrees out. I New York, it gets crowded, you know, and like uh, in high dense, you know, density neighborhoods where people utilize the emergency room more as their like main kind of medical. Um, I don't know, like, I mean, people like that's why the one person who, you know, had this post about Cornell. Oh, it's not that bad. But I'm like, you know, because probably people who live near Cornell don't have Medicaid and don't utilize the ER as their main source of medical care, you know, but if that's all you have, that's where you go, then you're going to go there when you're really sick and it's just going to get absolutely overwhelmed, you know? I, I can't because it's like, we run a lot of respiratory and, uh, and medic too in our area because we have the same kind of population, it sounds like, as you guys do. Um, but I, I, I just... I don't know. I can't imagine that. That just sounds like an overload for you guys. Yeah. I I hope it doesn't get as bad in Pittsburgh. I I hope we're like stemming the flow a little bit as it moves west, you know, like I don't know. Detroit picked up like 40%. So Yeah. Yeah, they're almost doing like a thousand calls a day. So I think they do like 450, 500. And I know. Um, yeah, so they picked up so we'll see. They only run like 25 trucks anyway, so I mean, they're going to be stretched thin. Yeah, that's the thing that we do too, is like we only have 13 ALS trucks and 3 BLS trucks, yeah. so it's like if something does happen catastrophic like that, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see what they what they do with it. Yeah. Alright, so while she's away, we don't have to talk about COVID. So anyway, <laughs> right. Yo, so, so the city of Pittsburgh, so how do you, so you it's a civil service test, correct? Yeah, it's a civil service job, okay. so you have to do. Uh, so there's no written test. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's just a physical agility test. Okay. So what do they need to do on the physical agility? 
I don't even like know what they changed it to now. Mm-hmm. I know it was like going upstairs with some bags from the last time. What I heard, they do you have to climb up a few flights of stairs with you know a jump bag yeah. or something like that and a heart monitor. I, I don't know what it changed when I went through it. It was like kind of uh, I I it wasn't very hard. I guess yeah, you, you could were say. surprised. I was surprised. Yeah, it was it was. You, you carry the stretcher down the stairs. You carry the Reeves down the stairs. Um, you had to do like this flexibility test, I remember. And it's like you kind of touch the back of the wall, you bend over, and then you touch the back of the wall. I don't know what the What's significance the of it was. Like you had to do like 30 in a minute or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know they changed it all from okay. when I went through it, but yeah. when I went through it, it wasn't terrible. Okay. It wasn't terrible at all. We had this arm uh, bike. Did you ever do the arm bike? Were you like that? No. Oh. no. You had to do it like so many yeah. do it? Yo, when you had to keep it going for like at a certain speed. I can't remember for how long. But I know when you're getting towards the end, it hurt. And stuff. Really? Yeah. You like got in some crazy position, like lock your legs because your legs start going out and you're just like <laughs> Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Sorry. Had to run downstairs. I live on a four-story walk-up, but a friend who's a nurse got a bakery to deliver us some goods to bring to work tomorrow. Oh, dang! Yeah. Back on COVID, Peter. No, I know. <laughs> we had dank before they dropped them off, and then we told our lieutenant that uh, that they were weed brownies. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I mean, the name. The, the, it's like a weed name, Dank. And we're like, yo, here. These are weed brownies, bro. Like, yo, you don't feel it. Like, yeah, what? I think our lieutenant got super nervous. We like, oh, was like, feel it? <laughs> yo, we had and a then we were so giggling. Podcast before. What's that? What's that? Was that the one you no, had on the No, no. no Neil, we call him Hefe. And uh, he's one of our better bosses. Like, you can get an answer out of him. And it's like, you know. It's a pretty legit answer, even though it probably it could be bullshit, but he just gives it to you so good that you think that, you know, it'll be a bullshit Neil answer, is, but he'll, he'll lay in, I'll, I'll feed into it. Neil's our main lieutenant, and he's really great. He used to work at our station. Yep. Um, he was a paramedic there. And yeah, like that one night we came back to the station and it smelled so good. Yeah. It was like pumpkin bread was yeah. baking in the oven. Yeah. And he had like tons of boxes from this bakery He's like, oh, these guys just dropped it off for us, and we're eating it. And I'm like, dang. I was like, are these like, like edibles? You know? I'm like, what? I'm like, are we eating like weed, like bread? And we start giggling and yeah. laughing hysterically because we think it's so funny. And then Neil was like, Wait. should I? No, seriously, should I write like a an unusual occurrence report? I was like, like yeah, man, you got to start doing it. He's like, how cool fucking weird. <laughs> Yo, yeah. But we did. I mean, we had to look it up because I was like, I don't know. I mean, is it legal to sell edibles? Like, why would they bring edibles to like an EMS station? We were like totally weirded out. Yeah. Hey, what are we gonna do today? Let's yeah. give let's give edibles to the EMS guys. I know, I know. Yeah. So, he had a believe in it for a while too, and he was like starting to write paper and sweating and stuff. So now we have, I think it's banana bread we have for tomorrow for work. So that'll be nice. We don't work tomorrow. Yes, we we do. Oh, it's Thursday. Yeah. You're right. (laughs) We do work tomorrow. Yes. 
Hmm. So we'll have goodies to have. Interesting. The nice thing is people are really like reaching out to All right, anyway, our- we, we're talking about other stuff while you. Okay, sorry. So, all right, so you did the physical agility. How long did you have to wait to actually go into, um, what do you call it, the training academy, right? Something like that? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, we just call it training okay. usually. Um, so we had the processes, uh, and they changed this process up, I think, but the physical agility, and then you had your background investigation with like mm-hmm. a polygraph and everything, and then you had mm-hmm. to go and get your conditional job, or background check with a polygraph and a drug check and then what else was there uh conditional job offers when they gave you your conditional job offer after you passed all that and then you would have to go through a psychological written test Mm -hmm. and psychological interview and then you would go to um uh and i think you had an interview somewhere in there with like our staff chiefs and then you would get the job offer after you passed your medical so it was a long process i think it took like three to six months three to five months something like that from like start to finish and uh our training um like your version of the academy just our training school was uh three months for me and they changed that too but uh it was three months that we did two and a half months in, um, I, I should say two months in classroom, um, a half of a month in rescue training, and then mm-hmm. the other half of the month was in uh, like FTO time. Yeah. Uh, on the field units. Okay. So they've, they've changed that up. They've actually shortened it down to more like a month and a half, I bet, yeah. for the program now. Yeah. Um, but we were lucky enough that we went all through with rescue training included some of the classes. Now they're booting them out without rescue training, just with the, the, I should say like an overview of it. They don't do the practical scenarios of it because, uh, like we, with their, they wait until they get so many people that they put a class on pretty much. And we were lucky that whenever that happened, we had enough people to put through a class. So now that we have a lot more people, they're doing it more frequently, it seems like. But uh, it's, it was, it was long. It was long. I remember that uh, I was, I was happy to get back out on the unit whenever I was, you know, kicked out loose. It was nice to get out onto the medic units again, because like I said, I had three, three months off of the medic unit. Like that was, uh, that was, the most I've ever spent yeah. off of a unit. I've never, I usually am on a medic unit all the time. So it was kind of different not being there. Was it like so a that, culture yeah. shock? Like once you got out on the ambulance from like, you know, like you worked in Monroeville before this, right? So yeah, one of the, one of the, I didn't realize this until a little bit after the fact, but I think we talked about this when we talked last was, uh, they told me, uh, or I'm sorry, one of the people told me after my first shift of being a paramedic in Monroeville, like my first shift alone that went like, just like, Oh, it was a disaster. And, uh, they said, Oh, after a month of running frequently, you know, you'll, you'll get a better assessment down. You'll get more comfortable and more comfortable until, you know, you feel pretty comfortable with everything. And that was pretty much the same thing that happened when I went to the city. Because it's, you know, even though it's a hop, skip, and a jump from where Monrova was, 
the system is completely different. The call volume is completely different. And, you know, I, I actually got kicked out on tonight's my first like month, whenever I got out of school or uh, training, they kicked me out on the nights and I had never worked steady nights in my life. So yeah. like, I remember I was like sick to my stomach at times. Like, I, I just had yeah. never, I had never done it before yeah. my body was used to it. And then after like getting used to, and then plus the system and trying to get used to that, it was yeah. just like, Oh my God, they're, they're throwing me to the wolves with this. And then, after about a month of being on the trucks and being with partners and everything, it started to feel good again. And I was getting my groove down again. And I don't know if it was, I, I remember, like I told you, Peter, I, I, I don't know why I'm calling you Peter okay. now because Julie always calls you Peter. I know. And like, so Peter. <laughs> I, I used to be Peter and then everybody's like, this sounds too official. So, so everybody's, I, I usually yeah. call him Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Hater, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I, uh, I I forget where I was going with that now. Um, but yeah, it was it was three three months of training, so it was it was cool. But uh, yeah, the half half of the last month was rescue, and then the other half was MTO time. So pretty much two months of classroom. Did you learn anything cool? Anything that uh that stuck with you, or that you were like, yo, that's that's like one of the neatest rescue things I've ever seen. Rescue training was neat. Um, rescue training was pretty neat. You know, you the city of Pittsburgh EMS does uh, all the the rescue in the city, which is a unique thing that not a lot of other places do. But uh, you go through. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, you go through rescue training in uh, in school, and they uh, teach you all the vehicle stuff. They teach you ropes, trench. Um, confined space uh, just a number of things that like is pretty invaluable knowledge um i was lucky enough that i had a few of those classes before i got in so yeah. i knew a little bit about it and uh i'd never really honestly cared for rescue that much um before i got into the city and then i was kind of like ah oh, like they're all about this here like yeah I'll give it a try. Like I'll, I'll see what's going on. And it actually started really interesting me and I took classes outside and, you know, outside of work and, uh, it's, it's neat. It's cool to be a part of. It really is. It's neat. Do you folks use like the rescue training frequently? Do you think? No. So like, I, so the new recruits always get the, the class at one time at one point or another they get it like what i went through that two-week program Yo, and then we have training every uh, like an hour every probably hmm. quarter that i would say it's weird and they're trying to gear it's it more towards rescue now where it's not necessarily okay. the the 